Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Jim with the Creative Play and Podcast Network. I'm lucky enough today to have an interviewer with an awesome GM and writer of his own RPG, Ben Warner with World of Dew. Hey, Ben. Hi. Hey, so great having you on here to do an interview with you. So uh, Thank you. just had a few few simple questions. So to start with, for, for those few folks that are unlucky not to know what World of Dew is, what is World of Dew? World of Dew is a samurai noir role-playing game. Um, it's set during the Tokugawa era in Japan, which is roughly like um, 1600s, 1860s. It's like uh, when a lot of the awesome Japanese Chambara movies like Seven Samurai and Hidden Fortress and uh, uh, Yojimbo and the like were all set. Um, instead of playing like uh, Samurai, though, which you know most Japanese role-playing games in the U.S. are uh, set, uh, you play Geisha and Ronin and Gaijin and Yakuza down in the gutters in the Japanese city during that time. Yeah, it's it's an awesome game. Personally, at RenCon, I was lucky enough to be in one of your groups with, with my wife, Kelly. And uh, yep. she got to play the Geisha. She was awesome. I got yeah. to play the Traveling Sanshin. I think the only member of the party killed. <laughs> but I had an awesome yeah, time. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I had an awesome time going down. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty epic. So uh, how, how would you describe how the game came together? Um, well, let's see. John Wick who I've known for a number of years now. Uh, he's famous for writing Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game and for 7C and a bunch of other games like Houses of the Blood and whatnot. Um, several years ago, he decided to finally return to the Samurai role-playing game, um, and he began writing a game called Blood and Honor. You play honorable clan samurai working for a, a daimyo um, or the interest of your clan and, and whatnot. Um, and during the, while he was developing the game during that time, I got to help him a lot with, like, playtesting, and uh, I even got to write a chapter and just thinking about all these, uh, like, helping him with ideas and stuff in the game. And uh, during that time, I kept coming up with these ideas, like, hey, what if we could play, like, Yakuza, or, you know, we could be, like, Ronin, or, or all these different things, and John kept shutting me down. He's like, no, this game is about Clan Samurai. You're playing Clan Samurai, you know, and over and over. It kind of became almost like a joke. And uh, finally, he's like, you know what? You should just, you know, write your own supplement you know, to the game and, you know, do that. And I was like, okay, well, so, you know, John's not going to do it. And, you know, I'm going with all the ideas. I should write it. So, and I didn't, so I didn't have an excuse. So that's kind of how it started. And so originally it was going to be this little supplement and you were going to have like a couple extra Geary, uh character classes, basically, ideas. Um, and then uh, it was, that was going to be it. But then it kept growing and growing. And the whole, like, idea, because I had to, like, have a setting for the game and, like, how the game would work, you know, on its own if you didn't play it with any samurai. So I ended up writing a full another role-playing game. And while it's completely comp- uh, compatible with Blood Manor, it's its own thing that stands on its own. You can play completely without Blood Manor if you want. All right, great, because it, it, it is an awesome little book, and the artwork is fantastic. So Thank you. You, yeah. you, you kind of mentioned gear. Let me, oh, let me, actually, let me break in real quick. Uh, so the artwork is amazing. 
um, because it's all original Japanese ukiyo and uh, woodblock prints from the time period, from the Tokugawa era. Because what's amazing is that uh, most of that stuff is out of uh, copyright, um, and it's not like under any sort of like onus anymore. And the Library of Congress in the U.S. has uh, acquired access to something like 26,000 prints, and then they've taken all of them and they've taken photos of them um, in high like definition um, Kodak uh, film, and then they scan them all and they put them all up online and in high uh, definition TIFF format and also in like JPEG and whatnot. So I have things like uh, The Great Wave off of Kosa Kanagawa and all these other famous prints in my book because they're all available online uh, at the Library of Congress, which is amazing. And it was yeah, just too for me. <laughs> yeah, the artwork, I mean, just for simple brushstroke artwork, it's awesome. I mean, yeah. and the cover cover of the book is fantastic, too. I mean, you picked the perfect oh, I, picture yeah. to put on the cover. Yeah, I, I, I saw that picture, and, like, I mean, literally, like, I, I was looking for pictures of dragonflies, and there <laughs> were, like, hundreds. But then I clicked on that one, and I was like, oh, that's it. That's the cover. <laughs> It was like no choice. It was like, you know, just immediately I knew. And the thing is, is a lot of this art uh, has kind of like degraded. The actual like images themselves have kind of worn away or, or been uh, like broken up. Some are even like, you know, the, the paper is actually broken away. And my uh, layout and art uh, director, Jessica Calspreta, did an amazing job in restoring the look of the hundreds of images that are in the book. Oh, wow. I, was so, even, I didn't yeah. even know about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she did an amazing. There's actually a couple pictures where I, like, there's, like, entire sections missing, but there's such great pictures. I was like, oh, my gosh, these are amazing. I would love to have these in the book. And she's like, okay. And I was like, no, <laughs> seriously, if it's too much, don't. And she's like, no, no worries. And then they were, and they were just superb. That's fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, you did just touch on it. Uh, quick question about character creation and Geary. Uh, what are the, the Geary or classes in, in the game? Okay, so um, let me think. That really, there's like 12 different Geary, which are like kind of your character classes in the game. And they're not as like restrictive as a character class because all they do really is they give you a kind of like a bonus based on the the um, the class. Um, like what it's kind of like your job in in Japan. Uh, Geary is like your calling, your duty. So that's what it gives you, and then it sometimes gives you little benefits. So like there's a police detective, and he gets like patrolmen to help him out. If you're a Yakuza, you get a gang that you're a member of that will have your back. So there's, like, the artist, which can be any number of different types of artists or artisans, um, anything from, like, a, a swordsmith all the way up to, like, a, a flower arranger. Um, there's geishas, doctors, sumo wrestlers, police detectives, like I mentioned, ronin Yakuza, soldiers, holy persons, which is anything from, like, a Jesuit priest uh, to a Shinto uh, monk, Buddhist monk, a nun, any number of different you know, religious uh, things, a Protestant firebrand preacher, uh, merchants, servants, and gamblers. And they're really wide open. So you can, you know, you yeah, know, with them however you want. Yeah, there's, the, servant could be any, uh, the servant could be anything from like, a, you know, like the footman to the emperor to like, you know, a lowly uh, Burakuman down in a, a village, you know, who gets water for people or something. Yeah, the class system is awesome because literally any gaming group, you can find something that will be awesome for any one individual. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, and that's the thing is like I, I'm not I, generally when I play games, I'm not like big on the classes. I don't dislike them because I understand why some games do it because they're trying to get you into like a certain genre or feel. 
Um, and for, for me, this, and, and in the theory for Blood and Honor, when John first did it, this is one of the things I brought over from Blood and Honor. He did it. They were basically the, the jobs that were part of the inner circle for a daimyo. So you would have, like, the executioner and the spy master and the general and all these different jobs like that. And so those were the jobs that you get in Blood and Honor, the Geary. And this, I wanted them to be more like wide-open, uh, standard archetypes that you could play off of. Yeah, because it pretty much has it covered. Of you, you watch any any movie of that era, you're seeing all of these different characters spot spotlighting at one point or another. Right, exactly. And I mean, and that's kind of my that was kind of my uh, metric for like <laughs> deciding whether or not these things were going to be uh, these different gear were going to be in, in the book. Was like, okay, so here are all these great movies I love. Do are there any jobs or roles that people have that aren't covered in you know these uh, character theory? Or are there, you know, or, or is there something that I have, like, too many of, or, you know, or, or whatnot? So I, you know, got it to 12, which is beautiful, and there weren't any other things that I really felt like I needed. So there are a couple that I've actually added in uh, uh, to the expansion book that's coming out later, but I'll talk about that later. Oh, fantastic. So a uh, quick question. Before the, came, the book came out on, on its Kickstarter, how long did you work on the game? Well, Blood and Honor... Shoot, now I can't remember how long. I think maybe five years ago, Blood and Honor came out. Um, and so I had the idea, like, starting then. Um, and I even, like, tinkered around and messed around with some, like, basic concepts and whatnot and did some initial writing for it all the way back uh, in 2010, I think, or 2011. I'm not sure exactly what year it was. But um, then in 2013, um, after having a, you know, we had a baby at that time, so I'm pretty sure it was 2010. Um, and all these other things that kind of got in the way, I, uh, sat down with my friend, uh, Marissa Kelly and we were doing, uh, a kind of a, uh, what's the term? Um, like a, a, an exercise with each other to like kind of talk with each other, how we were doing with our writing and whatnot. Um, uh, like a, co a coaching seminar sort of thing with each other. And so we were talking about our two games that we were working on and it kind of lit a fire under me and in 2013 and I, Finished the playtesting and got it done and got the final written so that in 2014 I could get the Kickstarter out and going. See, that's always great. Two artists working together and, and they just, you know, bounce ideas and then get each other going. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, lot, a lot of the times when I'm you know, running games or something and coming up with storylines, I do the same thing. I'm like, hey, how's your game going? This is what's going on in mine. And just, just, just bouncing off ideas, you know? Yeah, I actually... I actually do that kind of informally with uh, two of my friends that are both uh, game masters in their games. And well, basically, like, and we actually, it's kind of funny because we're in kind of almost all the same gaming groups, you know. So we'll have, like, I'm in three different games right now. I'm running one, but I'm playing in two others. And it's a lot of the same people, but they're not all the same because we don't all have the same uh, schedules and stuff. But we'll bounce ideas off of each other, the different game masters, you know, and be like, this is what I'm doing in my game. What do you think about this? Or, and whatnot. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like what I'm doing with World of Doom, too, because the system is a lot of, like, player input as far as, like, narration and, and story goes. So all minds come up with more awesome ideas. That, that's one nice thing with talking with other GMs as well, is you can basically let loose the plot and see what other people think before the players have to take a year to get through the plot. <laughs> right, exactly. And, I mean, and one of the things that's always stuck with me is, um, I remember who said it, it was someone... Uh, I think it was a movie director or uh, author, 
I think it was an author who said that basically you can come up with all this backstory and all these, you know, ideas and concepts for your character, uh, your characters, and if none of it ever hits like the main page or the movie screen, it doesn't matter. Exactly. It's, it's useless. So what you need to do, so if you're a GM, and I used to do this, and you would, you know, spend hours and hours writing and preparing all this stuff, and then one uh, thing, the players would be awesome, and all that stuff would be useless and you've wasted all this time, and I'm too old and too busy to waste time <laughs> doing all this stuff. So instead, I, you know, have, you know, campaigns and games that I'm, you know, working on that I can you know, come up with stuff on the fly and, and work it that way and play the game to see what happens sort of thing. Yeah, that's, that's exactly one of the things I love about World of Do, like Dresden, is you're, you're pulling the group into giving you ideas of what they want in the world, too, which is really nice. So that yeah. way, they have a picture of what it is as well as your picture, and then you just take the steering wheel and take over from there. Right, exactly. Which is which? Which as a GM, you know, none of us have you know the sixty, eighty extra hours a week to work on the game that we'd love to. Especially right. if the group turned left instead of right, and all that stuff you wrote just went in the shredder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's or... exactly it. I mean, <laughs> you know, so having having the ability to you know go where the story leads you strong mechanics that support that, you know, is a big plus for me. And, and makes life a lot easier for a lot of GMs out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so you did mention you have a few other gaming groups. What other RPGs besides uh, World of Duty do you like to play? Well, currently, let's see, just recently I finished a year-long plus campaign run by a friend uh, of Call of Cthulhu. It was Beyond the Mountains of Madness, which is a sequel to At the Mountains of Madness, the story written by HP Lovecraft, and that was super fun. Um, it felt uh, this, the campaign is great. It's actually a published campaign. If you have any interest in Call of Cthulhu, I would definitely recommend it. Um, At the Mountains of Madness is one of my favorite Lovecraft stories, so it was just super fun to play, um, like in that story and in that setting. And the time period is great fun. It's like right before World War II, so you've got cool airplanes going on. I was actually a pilot in the game. I actually played a an actual historical character, a person named uh, um, Peabody Magoon, who is uh, the inspiration for Mr. Magoo, the cartoon character. <laughs> he was also this uh, crazy real person who uh, translated the, the Finnish epics, which are the basis. And his good friend, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, is the one who uh, uh, used them to uh, create the Lord of the Rings. So I played this character that was like that. That was like that guy, basically, in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft setting. So that was kind of fun um, and a lot of fun because he was a World War One flying ace. Plus, he was also a philologist, which is like you know studying ancient languages and ideas and stuff. And he taught at Harvard, so it was just perfect fit. Um, that's a super fun game. I love playing Call of Cthulhu because it's got a lot of like tragedy and just like insanity and all sorts of epic horror fun <laughs> stuff. And then um, now I'm I'm running uh, Dungeon World, which is uh, a great combination of the Apocalypse World engine set with like a D&D style fantasy uh, role-playing game system. I'm running it for my 11-year-old uh, daughter. It's, gonna, it's her first campaign. She's played a bunch of like one shots and other board games and, and whatnot. Uh, but this is her first role-playing game campaign and it's going brilliantly. I love it because it, it has all the great tropes of like D&D and you know, fantasy, high fantasy stuff like that but with none of the, like, the clunky mechanics that really slow the game down and make it boring for you know, a lot of players. So... Um, I'm running that right now. I'm playing in Pendragon, the great legendary Pendragon system. Um, 
And that's super fun. I'm playing a Viking who just finished an epic quest, and he's now trying to sell down a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of Christians. Uh, <laughs> and so that's a kind of crazy, fun game. Um, and then I'm also uh, about to start playing a game called Diaspora, which is basically the traveler role-playing game using the fate system. It's got this brilliant, uh, like, galaxy, like, region sort of, like, you pick a region of the galaxy, and you create all the, the solar systems in that region. Um, and it's got this brilliant little system like that, and that's super fun. And oh, I'm excited to play that. I'm, we're looking at probably being a bunch of, like, space pirates, which is exciting. <laughs> which which is always a good, so, good safe bet to go for. Right, yeah, space pirates. I mean, who doesn't like space pirates, right? <laughs> you know, maybe people who are into space ninjas, but, you know, other than that, it's, you know, it's super fun. So, yeah, and then, I mean, of course, there's games like Legend of the Five Rings and Seven C, which were huge games for me when I was in high school and college, and uh, a bunch of, like, different cyberpunk games and stuff like that. Those are my kind of, like, my sort of go-to games for me. Awesome. Uh, sounds like it's a ton of different uh, systems that you really do enjoy. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, there's just so much stuff. I mean, like, I, I'm kind of one of those people that, like, plays everything. So, I mean, I play, like, people are like, oh, it sounds like you only play these types of games. I'm like, well, no, those are my favorites, but, I've, like, I've played a ton of d and I've played a bunch of Pathfinder and, you know, GURPS and all sorts of different, you know, game systems. I, there's actually a couple new ones, like Gianza and Adara, which are, uh, Gianza is, like, kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, High, uh, Tiny, Spookia Fantasy, which is super fun. Um, and that's got a great system. It's I like that genre, but the game systems that have been like built for that genre, I've never seen to like in my mind like really work and like capture the feel of that. And Gianzar is like the first game system that just like captures like the feeling of being in that type of movie or epic story, and that's just amazing. And then uh, Adara is just like it's called I think Steampunk Renaissance. Um, it's yep. <laughs> really brilliant in that while on the on the front it looks like just like a fantasy steampunk game, right? And then you're like, okay, whatever. But then uh, you start reading it and understanding the game setting and all this stuff. And they have this whole system on class and, like, what, where you are in your class struggle, which is amazing because that's, like, those were major things and issues during the Victorian era. And so you've got all these, you know, social upheavals and, like, different cultures clashing. And it's just like you guys have really understood and captured what it means to be in that time period, you know, of Victorian, you know, Europe. Exactly, and, and the, you know, and but then put it in a fantasy setting, so you don't feel bad when you're dealing with, you know, like you know the colonization of Africa and stuff like that. But you can like deal with those issues, you know, on your own sort of fantasy level, and under you know, and come to make better understanding of stuff like that. Actually, walking in their shoes rather than looking at it from a modern day point of view. Right. Exactly. Especially, you know, so, the whole phrase of "know your betters," you know. People right. understand nowadays. Thankfully, we don't have to understand that. But when you're playing the type of game, you really have to do understand of what is your position in society. Right. Yeah, and they have mechanics and stuff built for that, and it's just it's super cool. And if nothing else, it adds a great edge for uh, role playing value. And I'm sorry, what was that? It adds a, a great edge for role playing value for the play for the player and the GM. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, there's this whole you know thing of like class struggle and. And while party members may be from different classes, they're, they're together for certain reasons. But then when these class struggles come to the fore, you know, it then tests party loyalty to each other. Like, you know, you may be a nobleman, you know, not have to worry about these problems, but we're all lower class and our families are dying of starvation and stuff. And you need to, 
you know, help us out or not? And, you know, what does that player do? You know, what that gives you these all these great, you know, like struggles, like what do I do? What choices do I make? You know, and then if they decide to help all these people, then what about their their uh, peers? What How do their peers react to them? You know, oh, you're helping these people now? What's wrong with you? Will you be you know, sure? It's, it's really crazy because, like, I just watched uh, for the millionth time probably, but uh, first time after, like, years, I watched Lawrence of Arabia last night. And, I mean, that's this, and I've totally forgotten about this, but it's a huge theme in that movie is, like, you know, are you an Arab? or not are you british and um, how does that work and and who is lawrence you know is he an arab or is he a brit and does either side accept him and amongst the arabs they had they weren't they didn't consider themselves arabs at the time there were all these different tribes basically or clans and so they were kind of trying to come to the idea of like we're actually this one people group and the idea of like the british looking down on Everybody, <laughs> you know, and, and they have you know all these slurs for them and stuff. And yeah. there's this amazing scene where Lawrence walks into the the officers' club, which is like this really fancy hotel. He comes up to the bar. He and he brought this boy that he saved uh, in the uh, the negative desert. And and his friend and this boy was like his servant. Who like the boy was like, I'm going to be your servant. And he's like, No, I don't need any servants. And the boy's like, No, I am. And there were two of them actually. And one of them dies in the desert, and the other one survives. And Lawrence, like, won't let the boy out of the sight. He's like, holy crap, I promised to keep these boys safe. And I'm, you know, one of them died. I'm failing. And so, and he told them, well, you know, sleep in the best, you know, hotel and drink in the nicest restaurant. So he goes up to the bar and is like, two lemonades, please. And the guy that's working in the bar is like, Effendi, get out, get out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can't be here. And then he realizes he's a British officer. And then, because he's dressed like an Arab rose. Yeah. And then uh, he has this whole thing where he's, you know, uh, the boy, they're trying to get the boy out, and all these officers are freaking out and trying to drag him out. And, you know, uh, Lawrence has this big tirade against these guys, and then the general shows up, and it becomes this, you know, amazing scene of him, you know. Trying uh, to justify being a decent person. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's just, and, and then, like, all the all the fallout from that later where people start, you know, talking behind Lawrence's back and, and saying all these things, and now he's not as accepted although he's done these amazing things, so they have to, like, publicly acknowledge that he's this, you know, amazing guy. Privately, they're all, like, he's this crazy moon, you know. Doing the whole social shun. Right, exactly. It's just, you know, and so, like, you know. So, yeah, so I'm going off on this whole thing with art, but that (laughs) game has that sort of stuff in it, and that's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, especially if you can get the characters to just feel that and... When they get to that spot where they're just appalled by the actions of all the NPCs going around them, right? Exactly. I, yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of once you can get the, the the players emotionally hooked, you know that's when they're having an amazing time with the game. Right. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, getting getting emotions involved in a game is just a huge thing. And I mean, because once you get someone emotionally hooked, then they're open to all these ideas of like what you're discussing, and then they can kind of like be in the shoes of you know, the type of situations that, you know, people that live in those kinds of places, you experience kind of traveling without traveling. Exactly. So, so yeah. All right. <laughs> so those are the types of games I like to play. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you definitely go for the ones that have the great mechanics as well as they definitely pulls you into your characters and, and right, yeah. dra- drags you kicking and screaming out of the real world in Cthulhu's case. Right, yeah. <laughs> So uh, for back to world to do, 
yeah. uh, will there be any kind of online presence or support for the game online? Yes. Um, currently, um, the PDF is available for sale on Drive Through RPG, and the PDF site. and physical book. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I said no, sorry. I said fantastic site. R- RPG. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, also, Indie Press Revolution IPR uh, distributes my book, so you can get it like in game stores as well as their website. So you can go online and buy a physical copy, or uh, I think and the PDF. I shouldn't say or. It's just it's, I think they're together. I think you can also buy the PDF by itself, but you can buy the physical copy as well, the PDF on IPR. Um, and I'm looking at a couple other possible distribution deals. Um, nothing firm yet, so I can't tell you anything else like that, but, but there's a couple other possible things like that. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how you can get my game online right now. And, and I was super impressed at my local game store, Tucson Games and Gadgets. They actually had a copy mm-hmm. on the shelf. Which really, yes. I was really glad to see that. Yes, um, I know I've sold directly to several of the Tucson uh, retailers as well as some of the Phoenix uh, game stores as well. Uh, but a lot of people, a lot of game stores are, are hooked into the IPR, uh, um, the IPR um, distribution Just... channel, and that's been a huge thing for me. I like, I sent them a box of books, like a whole case of them, and they almost immediately were like, "You need more books." And actually, so tomorrow I'm actually going to the post office to send them another case of books. Nice. <laughs> Which is crazy because it hasn't even been a year yet. So I was like, okay, all right. I don't think it's even been six months yet, which is crazy. Hey, so. I mean, all i got to say, Ben, is it's a beautiful book. Just walking by the aisle, it's an eye catcher just to see the cover of that book. I mean. Yeah, I, yeah the cover is just lovely. Um, it's, I think if you go to the like the Facebook page, let me see this really quickly. Here. Uh, yeah, I think it's on your Facebook page. Yeah, it, oh, like part you can click on. Yeah, you, if you click on the the header banner, you can see like the full. That's actually that's part of the that's the Kickstarter banner. I actually didn't update it from the actual. Um, I think the file. Yeah, but you can see the cover. If you go into the photos for Werner's Wonderworks, uh, the Kickstarter page there, and you can see some of the art in the book. And some of the art that was, you know, used for the Kickstarter, and, and that will appear in the book and stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, this year, are there are there going to be any conventions that you're going to be running uh, World of Duet lately? For yes. this year, or maybe next year. <laughs> yes, this year <laughs> going to be a ton of conventions. Um, now I'm trying to think about all the different conventions I'm going to be at. Well, <laughs> next weekend I'm going to be a guest of honor at OrcCon in LA. It's over President's Day weekend. It's a four-day gaming convention. And John Wick and I are both driving out together. It's going to be an awesome fun road trip. We're going to have a great time. And um, we're going to do something a little different than we normally do when we run our games. Is we're actually going to combine our games together. So John is going to run two sessions of Blood and Honor. And I'm going to run two sessions of World of Doom. And they're all going to be set in a little city called Ryoko, Hawaii. Um, which, if you've played Legend of the Five Rings, you may have heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um and we're going to have four different stories that are going to take place in the city. And then after those games are done, if you'd like, um, on, I think, Saturday, because it's going to be like uh, Friday. Oh, no, it's going to be Sunday. So the, we're going to have a LARP. And we're doing a, the first ever Old Japan LARP uh, ever at uh, Orcon. Uh, it's kind of a playtest for the LARP rules for the, for the Old Japan systems. And it's going to be... You can take your character from the tabletop into the LARP. So that's a pretty exciting thing to add. That, 
That's oh. going to be just pretty awesome, just the two of you guys having the same city, four stores going on at the same time. Yeah, and it's going to be basically set in the Legend of the Five Rings uh, universe. So, like, one of John's games, you're going to be playing a, a clan, basically, of scorpions. So you're okay. going to be all scorpion clan members. Okay. Um, blood and honor rules. And then you're going to do another one is, I think, uh, Unicorn Clan? I'm not sure what his other game is. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then my two games, one, you're going to be playing a bunch of, like, upright citizens, as I call it. It's like a police detective <laughs> and a gay and whatnot. Trying to deal with a murder mystery, like a murder mystery that's happened on Teardrop Isle. One of the geishas has been murdered. Um, and then the other one is you're going to be playing all members of like a Yakuza gang and people like King Rizan and whatnot. And the uh, oil has been murdered, and so you have to figure out what's going on with that. And his two games and my two games are all going to combine together to be this one epic story that we spent last weekend hashing out. So it's just, <laughs> yeah. And then um, as far as other uh, inventions, uh, next month in March, I will be at the weekend in Rokugan, which is an L5R lark in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, they're doing a Kickstarter for it. I don't know if it's over yet or not. I think it might be already done. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's next weekend that they're ending the Kickstarter for it. Uh, but they already broke all its goals, and it's uh, heading uh, to stretch goals. And I think it's already hit the stretch goal for having John Wick as the guest of honor there. So oh, I don't know. Wow. If I'm actually not going to be running my game there, but it's an awesome L5R lark. Um, and... So I'm going to be playing that, which will be super fun. And then um, during the summer, I'm going to be a gaming guest of honor at Leprechaun here in Phoenix. And then also, I think right before that, the month before, I'll be uh, running uh, World of Dew at Phoenix Comic Con, which is a huge convention here in Phoenix. Awesome. Yes, it is. <laughs> Everything from comics and movies to video games and, and role-playing games. We have an entire floor of the Hyatt. That's this huge area that's just nothing but dating all weekend and I basically hang out there the entire weekend and run the game <laughs> nonstop. So it's super fun. And then, of course, later in the year, I'll be at Zencon in Indianapolis and RingCon in Tucson in the fall. All right. So those are my planned conventions so far this year. <laughs> All the others would just be cake. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, definitely, so, yeah. definitely expect to see me at your gaming table at RingCon. Not sure about Phoenix Comic Con yet. All right. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll see you at RingCon. RingCon's like kind of my con away from home. It's my home con away from home, I used to say. It's, it's like whenever, every year I go, it's 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 kind of like my favorite boutique con because it's enough gaming and it's not too big and you see a lot of the same people. And the other thing, crazy thing about RingCon is that it's like chock full of game designers. Like people uh, just like there are so many uh, like famous game designers that just come to that convention because it's really easy to get all the guys from like Colorado and Utah and New Mexico and Arizona and, and California and Nevada to all come there because it's not that far of a drive or a really cheap flight. And so you get all these awesome people there that can just like talk about stuff. I mean, like this last year we had what, like eight or 10 game designers. Yeah. And they weren't just like role-playing game designers. They were also like board game designers and card games. Exactly. Card game designers. Yeah. It was just, it's amazing. It's like this, yeah, and every time I go, like, my favorite thing go, doing going there and to do is, I mean, I love running my game, but the other thing that I really love doing is staying up super late with the game designers <laughs> in there. And, like, most years I just sit there and listen <laughs> and see what they're talking about because um, a bunch of them are guys that have been in the industry for decades, you know, yeah. and women too, and, and it's just, like, great to listen to hear what they're saying and talking about. Yeah, and then also, of course, the Sonoran hot dogs for late night run. <laughs> 
the Tucson oh. Sonora hot dog. Yeah, right. yeah, Raincount is fantastic for getting a network of folks in gin. Then just to say, hey, what time are you going to go have lunch? I, I want to have lunch and talk with you, you know. And almost everybody yeah. is super friendly and open of, yeah, come on, let's go have lunch. We'll talk over lunch. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's not like, I mean, and I'm a game designer, but I've, I've been to Raincon for decades, uh, you know, however long it's been running. I think I've been going almost, almost every year. Um, and, I, you know, I was doing it before I was a game designer. But it's still like, you feel like as it's just like a person, you're just like, oh, hey, it's, you know, another person. And adults, I happen to be a game designer, you know, or they, you know, they happen to be a car dealer or, or whatever they are. You know, it doesn't really matter when comes like other people and you can talk to them. Like it's not some crazy big thing like Gen Con, you know, Guest of Honor sort of thing. <laughs> you know. Or or at Rincon, if you're just sitting there, all of a sudden somebody, someone you don't know will just come up and say, are you doing anything for the next 30 minutes? I'm designing right. this game. Can you come play in my game for me? You know. And, right, Exactly. And yeah, you just get amazing. to find so much awesomeness while you're there, even without even trying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, there was a crazy game I played, and I've got to find it again. I can't remember what it's called at the moment. Uh, I'm terrible at this. I should, I should know the name so I could I'd promote it, but it's, it's a game where you play street games fighting over turf, and it, you're like fantasy creatures. So you're like, like you know, like slime orcs or... <laughs> Like uh, blood angels, or, or oh, and that's one of gay reference, but that's not what I mean. Like angels yeah. that also deal with blood, so you know, it's like yeah. it'll be like two things combined that make up your gang, and they're randomly drawn from a deck, and then you fight over these like you know buildings that get different bonuses, and it's it's that was like a crazy thing that I was happening into, and that was super fun, and I wanted to like get that guy connected with the Adara guys because it's kind of got a similar theme going on there with steampunk stuff, and so it'd be great to have them be able to cross promote and stuff. But anyways, yeah. So, yeah, I love Ringtone. It's my favorite little town. Okay, sorry. I was just taking a moment to see if I could find the game, because I remember hearing about that, but I didn't actually get to play it. I heard, I heard folks... I know I have awesome. guys hard, and I know like three or four other people I know that played it, so I'm certain one of them is going to have guys in the region. So we'll figure it out sometime. Yeah, and then we'll shamelessly plug them, because that's what we do here. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, earlier, by the way, uh, on your Kickstarter, I was just going to yeah. ask you, uh, what was your Kickstarter experience like? I mean, I know you made like 10 times more than your original pledge, your goal was, so that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, we made a thousand percent more, yeah, I think. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it, it was 22,000. Yeah, yeah, the original goal was 2,000, and I think we kicked in like two and a half hours. I remember like sitting at my computer writing thank you notes to people as they were stacking, and it was just like this was getting longer than I could keep up with. And then my wife like looking at me and going, "Hey, honey, you just kicked." And I was like, "What? No way!" Um, and so I that was yeah. Uh, John Wick right before I launched Kickstarter, he's like, "You realize this is going to be another job?" I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, the hours are pretty crazy. You're gonna have it's literally like having another job." And I was like, "Okay." And I mean, he and he doesn't, he's the one prone to like exaggerate about, you know, serious business stuff. So I was like, okay, crap. <laughs> and he was right. And it was just so much work and it was overwhelming and crazy, but it was also this amazing, exhilarating ride. Uh, we raised $22,000 um, during the Kickstarter, which is crazy because the original goal was $2,000. And so I blew away all of my stretch goals, basically. It was and, awesome. And originally I was thinking, oh, I'm going to need, you know, a little bit on each of the, you know, 
Churchill authors, like a bio and like a little bit about them and a picture and everything. And uh, they were, you know, I'm like, I'm going to eat them, you know, in the next couple of days. And then I was hitting like the first like three or four stretch goals in the first day. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> uh, so I'm like scrambling to get all these people to like send me their stuff right away so I can like have them on the page. So, yeah, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> so and, def- definitely good experience overall. Oh, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. It was just like, yeah, there's so much work. I, I even took a couple of days off at the end to kind of keep my sanity. And also at the beginning, uh, I did. And then uh, the crazy thing was that Phoenix Comic Con that year, and it, it ended up being the same weekend that I had planned. I had completely forgotten about Phoenix Comic Con. Oh, wow. And but as far as, like, scheduling. And so I went to Phoenix Comic Con, ran my game a bunch, and then Sunday uh, is typically the day that, like, I'll have my like wife and kids with me, and we'll go around and do the typical con thing, all of us together. And I don't actually run my game on that that day. And then, then after doing all that, I'm, I've just walked the entire floor of the convention, and I'm exhausted. I, I go home, and then I had our, promised to live stream the last four hours of the of the the, uh, the convention the campaign on Google Hangouts. <laughs> so I started live streaming <laughs> and live streamed until midnight that night, and I was exhausted. And yeah, unfortunately, uh, we had our family uh, vacation literally the week after that. So see, that's that just helped. good timing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so let me kind of recharge my battery. But it was yeah, it was kind of a crazy experience. So yeah. Okay. And uh, for for World of Do, we've kind of already covered the default setting, but uh, I was wondering if you had any plans for any other backgrounds or cultures around the Jap- Japan area. Um, not necessarily, um, World of View is specifically a game telling stories in like a, from a Japanese point of view and like the Japanese, in the Japanese culture. Um, so, uh, John and I called World of View and Blood and Honor setting Old Japan. And what we mean by that is that basically it's like historical Japan with all the real trappings, all this stuff, but also like remembered through like legends and myths and stories that are passed down. So, while it's, it's historical, it can also be fantastic. For like um, a good example of something that a lot of people might be familiar with is the latest movie that Keanu Reeves came out in called 47 Ronin. Actually, mm-hmm. he came out in the movie John Wick, which was a hilarious uh, <laughs> thing for my friend John Wick uh, to experience. But um, 47 Ronin, it's a true story based on 47 actual Ronin who avenge their, their dead Danyo um, because he, he, gets, he has to commit seppuku because of all this craziness. And so they have this whole thing in, in the movie where it's all like true historical stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And then they also have like an Oni and a Tengu and all these fantastic magical elements that are thrown in on it uh, to make it even more crazy and exciting. And so not, while none of that's actually true, it's, you know, it's amazing, cool Japanese legend and lore that's been added to it. I mean, you can actually go to the, the, the tomb of the 47 Ronin and mm-hmm. see the actual thing in Japan today. It's actually still a national monument there. Um, but all this other stuff is kind of like extra things that are thrown on top. So that's kind of how I, I review Old Japan. And so the idea is that you're, if you're going to be playing foreigners in the game, like Gaijin, you'll still be playing them through like a Japanese view of them. So like Japanese pirates and ninjas and monsters and stuff. Or, you know, and like if you're a, a Chinese person, you're still a Gaijin uh, to them, even though you've got this Chinese idea. So if, if you're looking at other cultures from, you know, around Japan, you can play them, but you, what, the best idea for, would be to for you yourself to look at the actual historical documents and like those stories of legends, and then bring them into the Japanese setting. Which, so, which I'm not planning on writing more about that because it's all there, 
I don't feel like me just like rehashing a bunch of actual stuff like that would be a lot to help the game. So, but I am writing an expansion to it. So, um, yeah, which is going to be a little bit different. Anything but, you can tease about the expansion yet? Yeah, sure. Um, so the expansion kind of grew out of the Kickstarter being amazing. Like <laughs> when Mark Truman and I like first talked about the, the Kickstarter, because Mark helped me. He was my business, uh, I should proper term, uh, like business manager sort of during that time period. Like I hired him to like help me run the whole thing because I'd never done a Kickstarter before. And uh, he, uh, he, he, he and I like talked about the numbers and everything. And we're like, maybe we'll get 10,000 at that, you know, if we're like super on the outside. So we're probably looking at like 6,000. And then the game hits 22,000. Like, okay, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, but we had all these six, uh, these stretch goals that we set up. And basically the stretch goals were this other book, this expansion called The Sound of Water. And each of them is, each chapter in the book is a different artist and author doing their take on, like, a specific theme. So the first chapter, uh, Fabian did, did a chapter header art, and then Toby Bob wrote this long, awesome chapter about Japanese horror and monsters in old Japan. And then there's a chapter on ninja, and there's a chapter on, like, smugglers and pirates, and there's a chapter on, like, magical weapons that John wrote. And then there's an entire fake conversion. Uh, so you can play the game using the fate system that Ryan Macklin wrote. So that's, uh, and then there's also all these other things that, um, that are going to be in the book too that are awesome and exciting, like Geisha and, and more expanded information about Geisha and like the secret networks that they do and all, all sorts of other stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of what the expansion is going to be. Yeah, because we should be shortly getting uh, group one or group two of our, our podcast group doing a World of, two, of Do game shortly, so... We've been oh, all be talking awesome. and hashing ideas out, but we just haven't committed to it yet of getting all schedules to balance out yet. Oh, but... I totally understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, and so, uh... okay, let's, sorry, let's skip a couple questions because I think we all just covered a whole bunch of questions in one shot. Sweet. Alright, so Ben, with the World of Do, what's the dice system that you use? Okay, so the dice system is, um, we call it like a wager system. Um, you basically collect a lot of D6s kind of in a manner similar to what you would do in like a World of Darkness game where you have dots and different things, and each dot is worth a die. You collect all these dice together, and then it, you either roll them against another player or the game master, or if it's just, you know, simple, you roll it for a sense difficulty of a 10, which is super easy when you've got more than four dice. Um, but what gets, makes it really interesting is that you can choose to not roll some of your dice and make wagers with them. That's why we call it the wager system. And each die that you set aside and do not roll becomes an additional and statement you can narrate based on what you, what you rolled. So if you take your dice and the other player takes your dice and you roll and you win, your, you win the right, you win the privilege of the rolling, you get to narrate the outcome. And then each of your wagers is an additional and statement that you add onto uh, what you're doing. And they also translate into things like each, each extra die during a, a strike, during violence, becomes like another level of damage that you can give to someone, or they can become different, like uh, things like uh, you can trade them in for more reputation and glory, all sorts of different things. So they become this like versatile system, but the basic idea is that they are more additional land statements. So you could be like, we're running across the rooftop, and um, I'm taking that guy down, I'm a, I'm a police detective, and I roll my dice, and I uh, make my... Uh, a game privilege, 
and I say, you know, to leap across, and I say, I miss, I, I miss the other route, and then you can say with one of your diets, and but I land on a balcony. It's the balcony of my uh, nemesis. His wife is there. She lets me in, and she asks me to help her kill her husband. So those are like how you like sort of what you can do with the wages system is and go all sorts of crazy awesome different okay. directions with it. Yeah, all of a sudden you're getting into dice rolling, and you're and and the one thing we enjoyed during our game was the bit debating on how many you want to risk rolling versus how many you want to hold on to. Yeah, and that makes just the ro- the, the decision about what you're rolling just crazy. Uh, you know, that makes it so much more interesting than just you know, like oh, you know, I've got these dice and I roll this, right? So it's a really exciting, cool fun way to, you know, make the game more interesting that way. It, 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 it adds a level of depth, you know. And, and the dice for system, like like in our game when you were running it, my, Kelly played the geisha, who decided when the evil gang came into her geisha house that she, she poisoned the tea, putting a dice pool against them. And then when, right, exactly. when my when my sanction was there, I'd bring out my, my musical instrument, start playing away to add to that dice pool. And then all right. of a sudden, all hell broke loose, you know. Yep. And then that dice pool starts getting used by everybody to catch up. Right. Yeah. It's just amazing, like how the whole system kind of like cascades into itself and and builds all these amazing, epic, different stories and and different things that players can do with it. it it's really versatile in that way. It's what I, you know, it's why I love that system. So. <laughs> And it, yeah. it and it brings the characters to coming into the game of, and I do this. Okay, I failed at this, but I can still do stuff. You know, so right. that way they yeah, don't the concept, feel. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the concept of failing forward is like a big thing because, like, in a lot of stories people tell, you don't always succeed at what you're doing, right? I mean, you know, like uh, Harry Dresden in the Dresden Files novels, right? He screws up constantly in those books. But he's failing forward. He's pushing the story forward when failing. In a lot of traditional role-playing games, historically, when you fail, the story stops, right? You try to pick the lock, but nothing happens, right? And then it So jumped. with games where, like the wager system or like the Apocalypse Engine in Dungeon World, where you have alternates to like, uh, you can, you know, like fail, you can succeed, or you can, you know, have a partial success. That whole, that whole mitigated success concept of, you're failing forward is just a huge thing for me uh, in game design that I think is like another, it's a whole other step. It's a leap forward in game mechanic technology. It's one of those, if it's not win-lose, it's win-lose or something interesting. Right, exactly. And even when we lose, there's still something interesting that happens. Exactly. I'm also a huge fan of the Dresden Files. (laughs) Jim Butcher is a great guy. Yeah, he was at Phoenix Comic Con last year and uh, a whole bunch of my friends went to meet him and like hung out with him, and then they came back afterwards and like, oh yeah, we just met Jim Butcher and hung out with him for an hour. And I'm like, oh my god, really? It's crazy. <laughs> and it's like, like I know Ryan Macklin and a bunch of people that are involved with Fate, and so they know Jim Butcher too because they did the role playing game for him. And it's just like all these people I know that know Jim Butcher, and I've like never met him. And just, oh, I want to meet him so bad. He's an amazing author. Any, so, any, gamer. any main characters in a book? who starts playing role-playing games with we- college werewolves, you-, you know he's got to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty epic. Okay, so for someone learning, wanting to start playing World of Dew, 
what is the bare minimum you'd recommend they'd start pick they'd pick up to purchase so they could run the game for their friends? Well, all they're going to need is like the core book, whatever format they want, the PDF or print copy, whatever, um, and then a bunch of D6s for everyone to roll. Uh, you might want some counters for Ninja, which is desiring honor points uh, to use uh, because the honor points are a pool that everyone shares and Ninja are personal. Uh, but you can really keep those track of those. Excuse me. Um, you can keep track of those on your uh, character sheet. If you want a lot more, just stuff to go with the whole game. It's just like all these other things. You can get Blood and Honor. You can get the expansion on the water that's going to be out in probably two weeks. Hopefully, hopefully I'm finishing the last of it this weekend, and then next weekend it will be going into layout. Um, and then after that, we'll get the proofs and the printing will all be done. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, so Blood and Honor and Sound of Water are the other two things that you can do. Um, and it looks like Don and I are working on possibly a LARP. Oh. So if you want to LARP it in the future, that's a possibility. That, that could be fun. Yeah. Hopefully that'll happen at Rencon. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, yeah. That's, that's kind of what we're hoping. That's a great... Have a awesome, yeah, well, old Japan LARP. Okay. So uh, in World of Dew, I know there's probably a huge list that you have t- tucked away somewhere, but what is the craziest thing you've had happen in a game of World of Dew? Oh, my gosh. This is... <laughs> like, every game... Every game that I've run at, like, a convention has just gotten some crazy amazing things. I'm trying to go for, like, you know, full-on, like, you know, oil, you know, go to the boiling point and beyond, you know, in just four hours. Uh, I think probably the most epic that I can remember is uh, Game Arena Phoenix Comic Con last year. There was a guy, Nathan, who was playing this gambler who was a coward. He was afraid of everything. He didn't like to get the fights and, you know, and whatnot, afraid of violence. And he was, you know, a lover, not a, not a fighter. And his girlfriend, Pachiko, is a murderer. Um, and the party, which includes a police detective and who's the only clean cop in Nagasaki, and a smuggler, and Tachiko's uh, best friend, who is a geisha. Uh, those are the pl- that's the player party. They're all trying to figure out who murdered him. And they have this final scene that we're playing out, and they've discovered that the captain of the guard is the murderer. But he's like, pushing it off on the gambler and trying to say he's the, he's the murderer. So they're at the smuggler's warehouse, and the smuggler has, has all these illegal guns that he's been importing into Japan. And the captain of the guard has showed up at the door of the warehouse, and he's got like, a squad of soldiers with him with rifles. And he's demanding to be let in, and the police detective is trying to make him confess at that moment. And everyone else is hiding in the warehouse. And the, and the, the captain of the guard is talking all this crap and saying these horrible things about Kachiko, and uh, the gambler can't take it anymore. So in the game, um, one of the ways that you can commit violence in the game is this immediate thing that happens between two players where you just point at someone and go, strike. You say it out loud. And I love at that, that moment, yeah, and it's just, it's so good because that's like how you know violence begins. It's, there's none of this initiative rolling. It's just bam, strike. And um, so Mason can't handle it, and like this character, the gambler, he's just like, I can't do this anymore. So he grabs a pistol, uh, like a revolver, and puts in a couple rounds. Like I think he put in like two bullets, and then like, runs outside and points at me, and he says, strike. And he shoots the captain guard, and so the both of them. <laughs> Roll all their dice. They get all the dice together, and he and he's you know got this fear that's a, a, a stuck on his character. Even with all those dice, uh, I'm going to beat him. I have more dice than he does. And we roll, and I rolled all ones and twos, oh. and totally beats me, which is crazy. And he uh, he pointed, he said, you know, I should I, I totally should have beaten him on the dice roll, but he told, he wins. And so he, he shoots the captain, and he says, and but he misses. So he says, I aim at the captain, but my hand's shaking so much that they miss. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, that's my, that's my privilege. That's what I say. 
And so we have wagers left over. And so I say, okay, well, the captain shoots you right in the gut. And, uh, and in my game, if you get shot with a gun, you're dead. You can, once per team, you can spend an honor point to not die. The group only has two honor points left in their pool. So they have almost none. So Mason says, I've spent an honor point to avoid dying immediately. I'm like, okay. And then he spends his, his other wager, and he shoots the captain in the head, killing him instantly. <laughs> the captain's an NPC, so he doesn't have any honor points at that point. So the captain dies, but I say, with my last wager, uh, as the captain's dying, his spotted soldiers open fire on you and the detective. Ooh. And so Mason spends the last honor point. Because you can spend honor points to make declarations that help the entire group. And he says, I jump in front of all the, the fire and take all the shots. Oh, man. what a, That's a team <laughs> player like, there. What? <laughs> and it's this epic thing. And so, and the soldiers are all shocked by it. And so they, like, back up, and the detective's shouting at them. And the detective and the smuggling gates all run out, and they, you know, and the detective picks him up, and, you know, the gambler up in his arms. And as he dies, the gambler says, Don't you go. And then he's done. And it was just like, as that's moment, we're all sitting around the table looking at each other and like, <laughs> Holy crap, that was amazing. That, and, we, that, and, and, and we're in this hall, like I talked about, there's a huge you know, hall with like 50, 70, 80 tables, and all these people playing, and it's just packed at that moment. And we all left up and started like cheering and shouting and like hugging each other. And everyone in the hall kind of like stopped for a moment. I looked at us like, what are they playing? I'll have a sheet <laughs> having, you know, sort of moment. And it was just this amazing experience, and we still talk about it. I actually was like writing the last examples for the book it was during the Kickstarter. And so I was in the final like edits for the book while we were doing layout and whatnot. And we had a couple sections where we needed more examples. So I ended up using that as an example in the book because it was just so epic. That that is awesome. Yeah. So that's like kinda like the most epic moment I can think of having you know, roll up to do. And there's been a ton of others, but that's like the one that like sticks with me. That that and that's the beautiful thing in a world of do. I mean, in every group, because I uh, on at Rincon, after we played, a friend of ours, Gary and Xander, played in your next group, and literally we yeah. all took off to go have to have food to get some food together, and we're both throwing each other you know, across the table of this is the awesomest thing that happened at our game, and he's like, no, this is the awesome thing that happened at our game. I mean, yeah, the the game does a great job of giving everybody the option opportunity to have a great spotlight moment where something epic happens. Yeah, and then yeah, and then how things snowball off each other, you know, like right, like, yeah. When you do the round yeah, table, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, when you when you do the round table character creation, when you're bouncing ideas off of, I like this person, but this person, uh, not so much, you know. And, and and then like like in our game, the monk didn't like me, but I didn't realize that. But I really like the monk. <laughs> so right, you have yeah. Those, those are weird, yeah. awkward role plays that you can bring into it. Yeah, and I mean, the character relationship uh, grid is like a big thing for, you know, the characters in the game. And having, you know, and having human characters that, you know, relationship with right at the start is a big way of like drawing them all in together. So you don't have that like, you know, trophy, you know, cliche, you know, idea of like, you all meet in a bar sort of thing. Uh-huh. You know, everyone's already knows each other or doesn't know each other in, in a specific way. So that's something I, I really love about the system. And I stole that directly from the Apocalypse Engine, and modified it and made it my own. So, One thing yeah. I, I did see that you were the first GM I've ever seen do it, though, was the black X on the table. That was actually really good, because I've got gaming groups with some folks that some people are comfortable with things and some people aren't. Uh, Where did you come yeah. up with the idea with the black X? I didn't come up with it. Um, oh, now I'm uh, going to look this up really quickly. Uh, 
it was a guy came up with it, uh, John Stravopolis, uh, and I'm totally butchering his name. But if you look up X-Card RPG on Google, okay. he's got a Google Doc that's public, and it has all about how to use it, why to use it, what's why, and like a big doc and everything. It's great. It's super simple. So you take a, a, a simple uh, 3x5 you know, uh, index, index card, card and then place it on the table, and uh, you uh, say so this is the X-Card. Um, at any time during the game, if you feel something either is inappropriate uh, for the genre of the game we're playing, or if you feel something that you just don't want to like deal with as far as like a story element type thing, just point at the X card and be like, I don't want to deal with this sort of thing. And then we'll either fade to black or, or cut it out or rewrite it um, and then go on with the story. And it's great. And I started really using it because I had like medical PTSD. I woke up during a, a surgery and it's no fun to like deal with like medical horror stuff and I, I think it's a really cool idea and genre I just personally can't deal with it um, so uh, it's a great uh, thing to use for that sort of thing for example I was at Gen Con last year and we were having I was playing an Apocalypse World game and it was super epic and awesome and uh, there was a point where we started getting into this medical horror stuff and it was for my character and I was like and the GM is doing this amazing job describing it. And then I realize I'm in a cold sweat and I'm like, I'm going to pass out if, I, if he keeps talking about this. Because I mean, that's how bad it is. It's not like some, you know, oh, I triggered with ice cream or something. So this is like, I mean, no joke, real PTSD. And so I pointed the X card in the middle of the game and I'm like, I can't, please say to that black. And he's like, oh, yeah. And so he does. And then that's it. But we knew what had happened. We just didn't have to talk about it. Yeah, you know? But then there's like the other example, which is like, they were playing World of Dew and, and someone, you know, sort of playing Old Japan. Someone says, I open up the warehouse and inside is a giant Japanese mecha. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yes, it's Japanese, but it's the wrong time period and genre. So find something else. What is it you find? So, you know, I can point at the XR myself as the GM, right? Or just any sort of number of crazy different things. Like we had a guy, uh, a friend of mine who's um, also Jewish, and he was running a game at Gen Con, and a girl showed up in this weird Japanese. Uh, cosplay outfit that are cat girls that are Nazis. And like X card, you cannot wear that at my table. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, that's, um, that's yeah. Yeah. But out of the tale. You know, so, so anything that's like uncomfortable that you can't deal with personally, you can X card. And it's, and it's not something that you use to like be punitive with. It's something yeah. that everyone has fun. It's, right? it's, so it's, it's an it's, honest, safe word at the table. Right. It, yeah. It, yeah. That's, that's a great way to put it. And it's also, the best thing about it is that it's up to the person themselves. So, like, my daughter did an amazing thing, uh, which I had never thought about for the X card, which was, we're play, I'm playing, dun we're, I'm running uh, Dungeon World, and it was, like, the second session, I think, and we're playing, and a couple of the players got off topic and just started chatting oh. about, like, something they were doing, which is really common. Table talk is, like, one of the things that's, you know, typical in RPGs. So they were going on for a while, and my daughter wants to play, so she points at the X card and says, table talk. <laughs> we all like were like, oh, okay. And we got back on the game and started playing the game and focusing on that, which was brilliant. And I mean, and she's 11. This is her first campaign, and she came with this new idea of how to use the X card. Hey, from the mouth, yeah. of, from the mouth of babes. Right, exactly. But, so yeah, so the X card is brilliant, and the best thing about it is, is that it's on the person themselves to X card or not. Yeah. So like, you know, so like the first like five minutes of the you know medical horror description that I was sitting through. You know, I didn't feel like I needed to point at the card, you know, but once I hit a certain threshold, I was like, nope, I'm not comfortable anymore. We have to fade to black. Exactly. And, you know, I didn't even have to say, I, I just pointed at the X card. I was like, please fade to black. And he's like, 
Oh yeah. You know, and then one of the, you know, and that's just a great thing. We don't even have to discuss like what are yeah. limits, you know, so people don't have to set artificial limits or like say, I don't want to discuss this topic ever. Yeah. You know, you can like X card it every time it comes up or you don't have to. So yeah, the X card is a brilliant little piece of stuff. I wrote a little uh, sidebar in the GM section, the narrator chapter of my book and then a link to the webpage on there. So that's in the back of the world to do. So yeah. I love that. It's it's a great little thing to make games more fun. It, instead it, of ruining someone's fun either inadvertently or, you know, you know, because you, you haven't you're not paying attention to how this person's feeling, it's a great way to keep it, it fun for everyone at the table. Yeah, yeah, it's a great system. I mean we've used it some of our other games for the podcast just as a okay, if I'm pushing too hard, let me know because sometimes as a GM I'm in the moment, in the spirit, and I'm gonna get super descriptive to make sure you see this with movie quality clarity in your skull, and all of a sudden, oh wow, I went to the dark place and I was dwelling there too long. Yes. Because I've had other yeah, players I've... that have like zombie phobia, and I start doing the moan with, with the, the hand gestures, and you know, all of a sudden somebody's getting that whole freak out of, oh my god, I feel zombies around me right now. Right, and, and I mean, being scared like that can sometimes be fun. I mean, people go to haunted houses for that very reason. Exactly. But sometimes it's too far, right? Yeah. You know, so we're trying to scared, scare. We're, we're trying to scare the character, not the player. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, we talked earlier about getting emotionally involved as a player in your character, and that's an important thing as well. But this is like a, a, a safety valve or a, a safe word, an escape valve, you know, yeah, escape clause. Just, just in the, case. Just and, in case, yeah. And besides, as a GM, Fade to Black is a great portal because then I can just describe, okay, you lose this many, you know, points. Do you want to do this? That You know, basically just then out of context, bring it out to here's mechanically what happened to you guys after Fade to Black and next next act starts. Right, exactly. So, for example, I'm going to very loosely describe this. We were in this giant machine and the back of my skull gets uh, cut open and like part of my brain gets removed and then a little machine gets put into it and then sealed back up. And that's what happened in the Apocalypse World game. And so mechanically what happened is one of my moves got removed and I got a new move that got put into it. So in, in its place. And so <laughs> I like permanently lost the move that I had on my character sheet. And I was like, okay, all, all righty then. And here's the other, but I mean, you know, that is not how it was described. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was probably described in pure detail. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, or like so I like to think about it is the princess Leia scene where they've got the interrogation droid coming towards her. And fade to black, and they now know where the rebel's hideout is. Yeah, exactly. Which, that's that's a perfect example. Like if I was playing Princess Leia in that game, and they were getting close to that needle, needles are one of my big things, and I'm like, nope, fade to black. You know? Okay, and, that would and be me calling it right there. And from and a storytelling like, point of view, yeah, and from a storytelling point of view, it's perfect because it's like, okay, yes, you you resisted, you resisted, you resisted. At a point, everyone talks, without going yeah. into the detail of showing this abuse happen in front of everyone. Right, exactly. Unless you read yeah. the Timothy Zahn books, and then you have the details of what you know trauma she has against her dad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and not everyone's into that, but you know yeah. some people are, so it's whatever works. And just like when you're reading a good book. about those cars. Yep, it, it's 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 like a good book. You can just skip a chapter if, it's, if you don't want it. Don't want to see it. Yep, exactly. Alrighty, so uh, moving on. Uh, what uh, what what's going to keep you up tonight after this interview? Well, I'm going to be uh, writing and editing the last few pieces of Sound of Water today. And then um, probably going to be taking breaks in between to play a brand new game that I just picked up 
called Darkest Dungeon. Oh. And it's kind of like a roguelike uh, dungeon explorer video game. Mm-hmm. Um, very grim, dark, and kind of silly, but also very, you know, it's like like so grim, dark, it kind of becomes almost silly. Where it's almost you know, a campy? Oh uh, Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but it's super fun. The mechanics are really cool. I have a couple of friends who already picked it up. And I've watched a couple of Let's Plays. So, yeah, I just picked it up before this interview. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to be <laughs> playing that during my breaks. Awesome. Yeah. So so that uh, pretty much covers all the questions I had. Is there anything I didn't ask uh, or that you'd like just to tell our listeners? Um, I think that's just about everything. I I One thing, actually, um, so I'm developing a, a new game, uh, which is kind of like brilliantly hit me, and uh, I got some help at the very beginning with some of the concepts and ideas uh, from two of my friends, John Kennedy and Ryan Schoon, who I'm working on a secret RPG project that I can't talk to you about right now, uh, but it's going to be awesome uh, when we do uh, announce it. But uh, what I am working on uh, myself, uh, not the RPG project, is a, it's a dice and card game in a similar vein to like Elder Signs or Art of War or like, you know, one of the Yahtzee type, you know, dice thing where you're rolling to try to get certain dice on your rolls on your dice. Um, it's in, I call it Mighty Knights, and it's uh, K-N-I-G-H-T-S at the end. And you basically play the stuffed animals of um, little kids that are sleeping in the house. And uh, your job is to fight off the night terrors that are going on, you know, that are trying to take over the house. And so uh, the stuffed animal you choose or the child you choose gives you different bonuses and abilities to roll against the night terrors. The night terrors themselves have to be defeated by you rolling dice in a certain way. So if you're familiar with Elder Signs or Art of War and, and how those work, it's basically the same mechanically. Um, different theme and then like some different uh, um, like, con- like some different mechanical ways of like setting up the game and how you run it and whatnot. Sounds like that'll be a good one for family game night too. Yeah, and it's part- and it should only take like maybe you know 30 to 60 minutes max. Um, and I'm initially saying I'm going to do a Kickstarter for it, but in the initial setup, it's going to be a four-player game, and then I think I'm going to have an expansion possible for it. So awesome. It'll be up to like six or eight players. So yeah. All right. So yeah, hopefully the secret RPG that we can't talk about. And uh, when Nighty Night comes out, to, by all means, let me know, and I'll, I'll we'll see if we can have a po- podcast about them. Yeah, sure, totally. Yeah. I hey, will definitely uh, keep you in loop. All right. Uh, thank you for being on here, and uh, you're a great guest, by the way. And it, I, I enjoy everything you do, man. I just got to say everything you do. And you will definitely you so see much. me at RingCon. <laughs> Maybe Phoenix yeah. Comic Con. If we do go on Saturday, I'm not sure how far I'm going to get torn away from the steampunk group, but I'm going to try to get up to the gaming floor at least once. Yeah, awesome. All right, and thank you very much. And thank you guys for thank listening. You. Yeah, thank you All so right. much. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.